that's Zimbabwe. Um, so I'm out of my community as well. Ooh. Today's session will largely be led by staff from the Ministry of Municipal Affairs, who will begin with an overview of the Declaration Act implementation to date, and they will also go into the next steps. The discussion will then shift to highlight an MOU between UCM and the province on engagement to address how it relates to DRIPA implementation. This will be followed by a discussion of implications of DRIPA for provincial staff and implications for local government operations. Finally, we will be joined by presenters from the city of Prince George to highlight examples of transformation in action at the local level. The session will continue um, with approximately 30 minutes for question and answers. I would ask that you please identify your organization when you pose your questions. We have quite a few participants joining us today. As such, we may not be able to get through everyone's questions, but we will try our best. And if you have outstanding questions afterwards, our presenters today will be sharing their contact information so uh, they'll be able to get back with you. Finally, before we proceed, I would like to note for all those participating today that the webinar is being recorded for sharing at a later date. And now I will hand it over to Diana Porter, Senior Program Analyst in the Local Government Division for the Ministry of Municipal Affairs. Over to you, Diana. Thank you, Trish. And so I'm just going to try to share my screen here and hope that that is the first successful thing. Confirming, I hope you all can see the screen now. So my name is Diana Porter. Introduced, I work for Municipal Affairs as the Senior Program Analyst, and I'm also joined by the Director of Government Relations, Brent Mueller, who will be here for and involved in the Q&A portion of the session. So I'm honored to be joining you today on the traditional territory of the Lebwanka peoples, the Songhees and Esquimalt, beautiful land where my flowering red current keeps flowering, and my mother, a second-generation settler, Deborah Kilgore, raised me and my brother here, along with the territories of the Chiano and Wivacom. And every day I'm grateful to be here, especially given all we've gone through over the past year. My presentation does have limitations and cannot replace getting to know your neighbors by sound, name, and lived experience, but hopefully gives you some idea to continue making your communities great places to live. So I'll just begin quickly by mentioning that in February 2022, Nathan Collin was appointed as the new Minister of Municipal Affairs. Just a little bit about him. He was elected MLA for Stikine in the 2020 provincial election and previously served as Minister of State for Land and Natural Resource Operations and is now Chair of the Environment and Land Use Committee and member of the Cabinet Committee on Economy. He served as a Member of Parliament for the riding of Skeena Bukla Valley for 15 years from 2004 to 2019. And now for an overview of the Act. So the Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous People Act implements the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous People, henceforth the UN Declaration, which the Truth and Reconciliation Commission confirms as the framework for reconciliation. So the UN Declaration was adopted by the United Nations in 2007, and that was already after almost 25 years of negotiation. You know, and after that, we know there was the residential school apology in 2008 by Prime Minister, then Prime Minister Stephen Harper. We then know there, in 2015, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission to Canada presented their findings and 94 calls to action, which remain a guiding document to reconciliation. And we know Canada adopted the UN Declaration in May 2016. And then in 2018, the British Columbia government published the draft principles that guide the province of British Columbia's relationship with Indigenous peoples, which are based on the federal principles and were guiding, have been guiding our policy since 2018. And then, of course, in November 2019, BC became the first jurisdiction in Canada to unanimously adopt the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous People through the legislation in the Declaration of the Rights of Indigenous People Act, henceforth the Declaration Act. The, then in June 21st, 2021, the federal government followed with its legislation 
And I say all this really to emphasize that this work didn't start with BC passing the Declaration Act, nor did it start in Canada with the 2008 apology. And it's it's not ending. This is a journey, not a race to an end, and it's very generational work. So the Act aims to create a path forward that respects the human rights of Indigenous peoples while introducing better transparency and predictability in the work the province does together with Indigenous people and sets out a process and reinforces work already underway. You may know by now that the province worked with the First Nations Leadership Council uh, to develop that legislation and it set out a process in consultation and cooperation with Indigenous peoples to ensure the new and existing laws are consistent with the UN Declaration to develop and implement an action plan to achieve the objectives of the UN Declaration so that over time it's providing that transparency and accountability as well as helping to coordinate actions and monitor progress through public annual reporting. It does also enable new decision-making agreements between the province and Indigenous governing bodies on decisions that directly affect Indigenous people. So Section 4 of the Act is where that requirement comes in for the province to prepare and implement the action plan. So the development process included early engagement with Indigenous people and organizations, including UPCM, followed by a public engagement on a draft plan. That first draft action plan was released in June 2021, and the final, of course, recently in March 30, 2022. And those goals and outcomes were identified in consultation and cooperation with Indigenous people around the province. And this is despite times of significant challenge, Indigenous leaders worked with the provincial government to develop the action plan. They contributed their time and resources to ensure Indigenous knowledge and expertise are brought into this work, benefiting us all. So it really is that strategic provincial scale, whole of provincial government document that identifies that high level list of actions the province plans to take in collaboration with Indigenous people from 2022 to 2027. So progress will be reviewed on that annual basis and publicly reported in that annual report uh, that's prepared in consultation and cooperation with Indigenous peoples and submitted to the legislature by June 30th each year. And it will comprehensively be updated within five years. So that development came through a cross-government process. It was led by Ministry of Indigenous Relations and Reconciliation, or MER, and that coordinated, of course, with Indigenous and public engagement and the collaborative approach to identifying action. So Municipal Affairs, we participated in the process through an ADMs committee that was supported by a senior staff level champions committee. But it really is much more than a legislative requirement. It provides a collectively identified long-term vision for the implementation of the UN Declaration EC, including those 89 priority actions that will be taken towards that goal over the next five years. So it's never been intended to limit, but rather supplement ongoing reconciliation work. And uh, it is structured around four themes. So these align well with the UN Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples themes, but they also may be a useful framework for your local governments to consider actions under. Similar to what the City of Vancouver has begun doing with their UN Declaration Task Force, composed of First Nations, the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh, and others from the city, it is working to develop recommendations in alignment with the themes. As you know, the actions under the themes largely address the province's relationship with Indigenous people and sought input from First Nation communities and leadership and Indigenous peoples and organizations and reflect ongoing or previously announced work, such as uh, the province and Indigenous communities shift towards co-development of those longer term agreements. And we recognize that many of the actions posed under the plan address issues that may have bearing on local government jurisdiction as they are rolled out, for example, those relating to fisheries and forest management. While every government agency is represented in the action plan, there are a few key areas of focus. So primary focus, of course, being on the social sector, including key commitments in areas of children and families, health and education, and the natural resources sector commitments, forestry, heritage conservation, and mining. And it's also aligned with commitments in the economic sector. But you can see up there on the slide those four themes of self-determination and parent-rated self-government, title and rights, ending Indigenous racism and discrimination, and social, cultural, and economic well-being. So ministry staff are working on implementation to support both municipal affairs and commitments. 
As you saw in the first draft that was released for public review, the Ministry of Municipal Affairs is committed to supporting inclusive regional governance by advancing First Nation participation on regional district boards. That can be found under that first theme there of self-determination and inherent right of self-government. And we know that interest on this has been building for some time and several regional districts and First Nations are keen to see this advance. At present, we are researching existing governance systems of regional districts under provincial legislation and First Nation governments under federal legislation and policy and the alignment of the two. From there, we anticipate engaging with Indigenous peoples, local governments, and other interested parties. The Ministry, of course, is also responsible under the Social, Cultural, and Economic Well-being theme for Action 4.27, you can see on the screen, which is to review the principles and processes that guide the naming of municipalities and regional districts and evolve practices to foster reconciliation and local process. So we know this idea will require working on new approaches and practices to local government name changes. Local government names that are associated with Canada's colonial past can be a devastating reminder of the mistreatment of Indigenous peoples. For renaming, the Ministry is providing guidance to some local governments, we have seen Powell River and Queen Charlotte, who are considering name changes to support reconciliation. This does not mean all local government names will change. Rather, we emphasize local process that involves collaboration with Indigenous nations and engagement with area residents. Cases where local governments and Indigenous neighbors want to pursue renaming, ministry staff will be providing guidance and support to help adapt naming processes to emphasize the collaboration between local governments and Indigenous nations, as well as fulsome engagement with area residents. So, uh, the Declaration Act Secretariat is a separate body. You may have also heard about the reports to the deputy, directly to the deputy, to the premier, and it helps with act and action plan to ensure alignment of provincial laws with the UN Declaration and support government's reconciliation efforts by ensuring laws, policies, and practices are consistent with the Act. So overall, what does it mean having what I've just gone through, the Declaration Act, an action plan, and now and a secretariat? Well, we know we can't focus on everything at once, which is why you see the Municipal Affairs focus on the two items in the action plan driven by Indigenous interests. Because as I mentioned earlier, there are several strategic interests in those 89 actions, municipal affairs being only two. Um, so as for any legislative changes presently on a go-forward basis, all new provincial legislative proposals must describe how Indigenous peoples, including Indigenous organizations, have or will be involved in the development and implementation of the proposed legislation. So anything, any future changes to local government legislation would have to be consistent with the Act. Which is to say, if in future, a more comprehensive plan for reviewing key pieces of local government legislation, like the Community Charter and the Local Government Act, becomes a priority for the province and First Nations leadership, we'll work closely with the UBCM. But there are currently no plans in place to do an overall review of local government legislation. We also appreciate that your interest is not just about the local government uh, system, but other changes that may impact the interest to local governments, such as the ones on the screen there. So in UBCM's submission on the draft plan, it requested that the province engage with local governments on issues that have bearing on their jurisdiction to better support effective policy as the Act is implemented. Recognizing that implementation of the Act is an all-of-government initiative, other ministries are responsible for the idea other items beyond the two municipal affair ones. So, so it's 2.9, conservation, biodiversity. These are non-munis. Well, we do this using the Memorandum of Understanding. And that memorandum has UBCM and the province recognizing local governments are partners in reconciliation. You may know that it was recently renewed in September 2021 at convention and it confirms that support for implementation of the Act by all parties. And it confirms UBCM's support for advancing reconciliation with Indigenous peoples throughout the province at the local level and underscores local government's role as valued partners in advancing and achieving true lasting reconciliation with Indigenous peoples in British Columbia. In other words, it acknowledges the importance of a cooperative approach to matters of mutual interest. It's a commitment to keep local governments informed 
and as partners in reconciliation initiatives, as well as recognizing their importance as order and order of government with potential to be impacted by provincial matters so between negative first nation negotiations and other order of government. So to reiterate, the Declaration Act is an all-of-government initiative, and to respond to UPCM's request that the province communicate the need to engage with local government across ministry and agencies, we have done and do so using the MOU and Provincial Employee Education Initiatives. So to bring that a bit more to light for you, example, I'm going to provide you a couple examples. So the MOU was shared with all the deputy ministers and ministers, as well as it was shared through one-on-one staff-level conversations on working groups or during land selection negotiation updates. And we're going to be continuing and have done work with the Negotiation and Regional Operations Division of the Ministry of Indigenous Records. Indigenous Relations and Reconciliation, whose focus is on engaging treaties and other agreements, such as reconciliation agreements. And part of that work for us is furthering their understanding of local government and that difference between it and the provincial uh, system, and the difference between regional and municipal governments and local governments' relationships with First Nations, that representation, that service provision element and that local government value add to the provincial engagement processes and those key considerations for engaging with elected officials versus administration and local government. And of course, we're always happy to continue to collaborate with UBCM to bring other ministries to the table to continue these conversations and know the work will be ongoing. So we're supporting local governments to develop strong relationships with Indigenous nations to create a BC where everyone feels comfortable in their communities. How is that affecting our day-to-day operations of ministry staff? Well, as mentioned earlier, we've already had the draft principles that guide the province of BC's relationship with Indigenous people since 2018 as our guiding policy. We've already been thinking about this for a while, and this requires that the province's dealings with First Nations and Inuit people be conducted in a manner that acknowledges specific rights, interests, priorities, and concerns of each, while respecting and acknowledging distinct people with unique cultures, histories, rights, laws, and governments. Our engagement is not just about meeting a legal test, it is part of building a government-to-government relationship and being flexible in terms of our timeline and how we reach out. So what's changed for industry staff? We're building more time into our processes and connecting more personally, so that maybe phone calls or virtual meetings, and we're certainly not simply doing it to check a box. And we also realize that it may be hard for First Nations to understand how local governments work, the legislative boundaries that may limit your ability to meet their expectations, so we're prepared to help those discussions, and more so than in the past, we're working directly with First Nations in an effort to facilitate relationship building. So again, some examples of that are with uh, Burns Lake. So in this case, the MOU was used as a framework for the province and local governments to support work on reconciliation. So a, a query was raised by the village of Burns Lake at the last UCM convention, and under the auspices of the MOU, Municipal Affairs staff worked with the village staff to organize the communication exchange and meeting that included other key provincial agencies. So Chris Murr was there, uh, at the time, what was then Flinrow or Forest Lands Natural Resource Operations <laughs> and Ministry of Citizen Services that all work with First Nations in the region. The result was an improved understanding for the village on negotiations that were underway in the province, along with some guidance on, a, on pathways for their projects related to parks, trails, and public works that require access to, to Crown land where First Nations have an interest. We also are, as many of you may be familiar with, in the midst of uh, our first incorporation study in the new context with Sorrentino Blind Bay. So in that example, after preliminary discussions with Shwetmet communities, we brought the Columbia Shushop Regional District into the conversation about the types and scopes of decisions that local governments make in order to explore together how things are and could work with respect to engagement and involvement of the Shwetmet communities. While our, our provincial consultation questioned how are Indigenous interests, rights, and title impacted by a change in the form and structure of local governance, we needed to work backwards to understand how they are currently impacted and create an opportunity for better relationships, regardless of the outcome of an incorporation vote. So in the past, we may have focused on the provincial duty to consult 
focused more strictly on the government-to-government -government relationship between the province and First Nations, and we were uh, perhaps arguably not as successful in bringing the First Nations into the real dialogue. So what does that mean? A more holistic approach to understanding the actual practices of local government, separate from that legal duty of the province. This may take longer, but hopefully both parties understand better what a change can mean on rights and title, and potential to understand key areas of interest that will likely continue to be key areas of interest for the First Nations, as or if a local government is incorporated, rather than after the fact learning. So while local government powers may not be impacted by that, you need to be prepared to iterate your processes and their potential impacts on rights and title. To this end, in the Sorrento Blind Bay context, a cultural heritage overview assessment is underway and an exploration of an engagement matrix on matters of interest to the First Nations area. Finally, I'd like to emphasize that there's lots of work going on in MER. Uh, for the Ministry of Indigenous Relations and Reconciliation, probably just refer to it as MER moving forward, to promote the importance of engaging local governments and their elected officials and staff. And I know from my experience that some of those employees have worked in local governments and have that local government experience. There's a lot of knowledge there, I think, important to remember. And uh, publicly as well, Engage BC, if you're not familiar with it, is a great place to learn more about agreements and treaties engagement that are going on currently and for the public to gather that background info as well. So I understand that local governments have questions about how the new legislation is going to change the context of communities working together to build relationships and advance reconciliation, which is our overall goal. But you do not the provincial act, the action plan, or the secretariat to build and strengthen your relationships. In fact, none of these items will tell you on the ground how to do this, but this is where the real opportunity lies to make a difference in that relationship building. So as I go through the next few slides and discuss actions, I'd like you to ask yourself these questions that I'm about to show you, because each local government is unique and will be at a different place. So I'm going to use this as an opportunity to pause and, and give you a moment to reflect, albeit it won't be a long one. So how does your relationship need to change with First Nations, Métis, and Inuit? Like examine that relationship critically. And ask, where are we now and where could we be in 10 years? Perhaps you use the Declaration Act themes to guide your progress, as the city of Vancouver has done. Or if not those themes, what will be your guiding principles to advance reconciliation? Have you talked to First Nations about it? For example, Toronto is a province is in a province that doesn't have a Declaration Act, and it has also done this with their commitment to follow the 10 guiding principles of the Truth and Reconciliation Space shared by the Truth and Reconciliation Commission of Canada. So that's another plan you can look at and resource to use. We're all really learning from each other about the successful collaboration between Indigenous nations and local governments, partnering to build stronger, more resilient communities. And you're most certainly encouraged to collaborate with neighbours, especially around decisions that affect people and communities. So while there may be minimal legislative acts at present, ask yourself to go beyond the legislative. What is good governance? Is there working with neighboring governments, including First Nation governments? Consider Indigenous rights. In other words, local governments have a role and responsibility to take meaningful action. And to do that, to achieve that reconciliation, the province is encouraging local governments to use the Truth and Reconciliation calls to action, the articles in the UN Declaration, as lenses to consider policies, actions, and initiatives they can take in collaboration with First Nations. Indeed, some local governments were already on this path before the Act was adopted. And while we do appreciate that some would like to see legislative clarity, but for the moment, our existing flexible framework for local government in BC gives lots of latitude for local governments to work with First Nations to determine the path forward. So if you have no relationship and are not sure where to begin, 
perhaps start by educating yourself. Read Indigenous groups' comprehensive community plans and strategic priorities to find common interests or work on supporting an interest. Look at your service agreements, MOUs, other initiatives. Examine your internal capacity and cultural agility through training and other learning events. Think strategically. How can you build in and maintain those relationships over the changing of both governments? Empower your staff to take the initiative to reach out to start the conversation, perhaps through a tangible project like working together on signage. So you may have even seen that discussed in a recent CBC article on reconciliation with small town PC. But use each other as resources. And if you're still not clear, you can speak with ministry staff or talk to other local governments in your region. There are a lot of great staff reports out there you can access and, and, and use as models and idea generators. You can also speak to ministry staff if First Nation neighbors make a request a local government does not think it has the authority to respond to. We've heard from, what have local governments heard from First Nations? Well, it goes back to a little bit what I said earlier, building relationships is part of good governance. You know, it's hard to do nothing about me without me. You've heard that phrase before, I'm sure. You don't, you don't know what interests First Nations unless you talk to First Nations. That doesn't negate doing a bit of your own research first on members, land-based election systems, social and economic activities, protocols or news releases or websites would be great sources of learning about priorities. I spoke to that actually in a recent local government leadership forum session and those slides and recordings are available. But communities that have good relationships aren't worried about this. They've been doing the work for years. So find out what First Nation area's priorities are and how you can support them. Work together in some cases, step back from things. It really is uh, building better relationships is an exciting, promising opportunity to build a better future together. So be curious. It's iterative work, it's gonna change. You'll make mistakes, I've made mistakes. There's no one right way to do reconciliation. It is more about the relationship. And you have an incredibly important role to play at the local level. And we're also supporting you with this through the update of our engagement guide that will go further into some of what I've discussed today and why and how relationships need to change. So that on the screen there is what our guide currently looks like and it was last updated in 2014. And we're working on that update now to draw in and share numerous examples of relationship building activities underway daily across the province and to further reinform, reaffirm the importance of engagement processes with First Nation governments on matters that impact them, regardless of whether or not there's a provincial decision at the end of it. This is just the start we have additional and ongoing work to do to help provide guidance, and it will also be useful to further examine the results from the survey UBCM undertook to identify information and communication gaps. So provincial expectations for local governments now that there is that Declaration Act and Action Plan in place, well, we continue to have uh, the resource there as it is from 2014. There's continues to be the context for First Nations consultation areas if you are not aware of which First Nations you should be reaching out to. And as mentioned earlier, there's no specific legislative ask. While the duties to consult may rest with the province, engagement by local government can lead to better outcomes from all, as rights and titles do exist, and they're not going away. And furthermore, First Nation engagement by local governments foster relationship building and inform provincial consultation processes, leading to better certainty in your ask the province. So how to engage First Nations to build those government-to-government -government relationships? Well, local governments have many options on how to approach First Nation engagement to create new connections or further develop relationships. Say, especially given the broad and specific powers set out in the local government legislation in BC, there is tremendous potential to make connections and achieve common objectives. But local governments are advised to keep in mind any potential collaboration dependent on First Nations' own level of interest. Headphones. So those three categories of actions that can be seen there on the right of the screen offer some ideas for local governments to consider many to consider. So many governments have success partnering with neighboring communities on some of those those initiatives. So I'm about to kind of 
give some examples of those three larger themes and what we mean by that. But before I do, I'm just gonna check um, and make sure I haven't missed anything. Okay, there's a few. Few, okay, few questions on will the slides be shared after the presentation and answers? Okay, and um, I will get to the Q&A at the Q&A section. So what do I mean when I talk about those three actions there? So the first one being prioritization of engagement as local government responsibility. Um, well, does your, does your leadership like your, you know, your council or your board have a mandate to advance reconciliation? That's a question to ask that prioritization of engagement. So is Indigenous knowledge recognition in that strategic plan? What do your committees look like? Do you have capability building of elected officials and employees, such as mandatory training when onboarding uh, on the history and colonization impacts? Also ask yourself, what type of public education is happening? Are you doing land acknowledgements? What does your signage look like? What is your website communication materials? Are you co-facilitating, oops, sorry. Are you co-facilitating any learning with First Nations? So the second action there, inclusion of First Nations and local government processes. What do I mean when I talk about that? Well, ask yourself, what do your operational policies and procedures look like? Do they identify proposed decisions that require First Nation engagement, the appropriate levels of engagement, and require documentation for the individual? Do you have opportunities for First Nation members or organizations to provide services to your local government? Are First Nations represented in any of your committees or advisory bodies? Have you invited First Nations to participate? And relevant committees and perhaps Indigenous elders or residents or youth. And that final action there, building partnerships. These are the, the more formal representations of that relationship building. So such as those government-to-government -government agreements, like MOUs, service agreements, mutual beneficial strategic agreements, or economic development agreements. It might look like regular government-to-government -government meetings, alternating between host communities, coordinating with each other to share knowledge. It could be joint economic development initiatives like forests or tourism or environmental initiatives and such as climate change adaptation or emergency planning. It could look like your regional strategic planning, exploring opportunities for government-to-government -government planning on matters of mutual interest that are regional in scope, such as land use and growth management. You could explore inclusive decision-making where First Nations perspectives are valued and incorporated on a broad range of matters, such as land and natural resource development, archeology span and heritage conservation. How does this relate back to your decision-making structures and processes for strategic mandates? I've seen this picture a few times. But what that is attempting to do is bringing together the action ideas from the, the previous slide. Uh, a local government and First Nation engagement approach could possibly mirror this visual presentation. So in this approach, the core of the approach guiding a local government is really that clear mandate by a municipal council or regional district to work towards reconciliation. The council or board mandate serve as the guiding principle for the local government in its vision of building strong, long-lasting government-to-government relationships with neighboring First Nations and Indigenous organizations. This mandate, in turn, can trigger organizational transformation within the local government, precipitating changes to structures, such as committees or processes, such as the policies and procedures I mentioned earlier, and people, like that capability building I talked about earlier. So with a clear mandate and resulting organizational changes, the local government's better poised to conduct meaningful engagement and build strong relationships with First Nations that lead to a variety of collaborative arrangements, such as that regional strategic planning and those joint initiatives such as economic development. But we can't speak on behalf of local governments or First Nations. That's for you to explore and prove out 
what you need to work on together. And many of you are doing just that. We know that, like Salavan and Powell River, focusing on exploring a name change process. So really, in summary, we have an act an action plan that outlines what the province is doing and an MOU that emphasizes keeping local governments as part of the process and knowledge that with or without both these things, local governments are empowered to advance reconciliation consistent with the UN declaration and the TRC calls to action. And we know many of you are heading in the right direction. I've just put a few <laughs> up there on the board that, you know, public education on the website of District of Squamish with their uh, acknowledgement of territory. That, inclusion in their council strategic plan, CRD's exploration of economic, uh, shared economic opportunities. So it really is heartening to know that there are so many local governments and First Nations working together on joint interests. And, you know, path forward may be a challenge, but it doesn't mean it's not worth doing. And we remain committed to doing so and doing so with integrity. And thank you for your leadership and ongoing commitment to this as well. We encourage you to consider engagement and reconciliation. Perhaps you might start on a joint shared project, but beyond this, think towards the strategic levels we talked about earlier. So we know there are many examples of collaborative relationships and working in the spirit of achieving cooperation and understanding, but we also know it takes time. And you can see from the screen there, that's just a shot from Capital Regional District, that you know they've been doing it for years. It, it's work, but it's work that you should be doing or will, will hopefully be doing. So there are materials to support this work as well. So the province is very keen to support local governments in learning from each other. And you're probably aware of the partnership between Municipal Affairs, uh, Ministry of Indigenous Relations and Reconciliation, UBCM and Civic OBC and the First Nations Summit to build the Joint Indigenous and Local Government Initiative and Relations Library. If you're not, highly recommend you go and look at it, explore what's there. It's really searchable, you can use the tags, all sorts of things. It's public, anyone can go to it, and you can see those opportunities um, of relationship building that's already underway and reconciliation initiatives that are already underway. And if you have any that aren't featured there and you'd like to share them, then you can always email relations at info bc.ca to have them added to support and inspire other local governments. And we also have, of course, as many of you are likely already familiar with, we have the Community Community Forum program that is still open and accepting applications. It is now, grants now cover up to 100% the eligible form costs. And to, I think the next deadlines are September 2nd, December 2nd. So we've got two more intakes, normally three intakes, but I think one has already closed recently. And make maximum use of those programs, really. I can't emphasize that enough. Um, some local governments, honestly, they don't really now. And, and you can, uh, can apply to the multiple intakes. Uh, First Nations and local governments can share yeah, applications. The they can be used to fund a series of events, like uh, really take advantage of that, that, that program. So I just like to end by really saying in conclusion, it doesn't matter your local government's size or where you're at on your journey, you can work on reconciliation. The work takes time, but it should be underway. And I've just shown that there by highlighting small, mid and large sized communities, um, being mindful of time. I'm not necessarily gonna read exactly what they're doing here and slides should be available after so you can see you know, Fort St. John has a five-year strategic plan. Uh, Mission's another small community that their council adopted the nine principles of reconciliation as the city moves towards becoming a city of reconciliation. You know, you have the Comox Valley Regional District having Indigenous relations as one of their four strategic drivers. And then you have the other CPRD, uh, the Cowichan Valley Regional District also doing a, a lot of, of great work and understanding the importance of relationship building. You know, the city of Nanaimo is also going through a process to update their city plan and proposing to include a section on truth and reconciliation. You've got the bigger communities out there working on reconciliation again for years, uh, such as Burnaby there. So I'm just gonna end by asking you to really reflect on that TRC definition of reconciliation. It's about establishing and maintaining a mutually respectful relationship uh, between Aboriginal and non-Aboriginal -Abor people 
country. In order for that to happen, there has to be awareness of the past, an acknowledgement of the harm that has been inflicted, atonement for the causes, and action to change behavior. So there are resources there, um, some of which I've talked about and are also resources for building your own knowledge. Uh, our contact information is there too, and I'm sure you can get it if you missed it, if I have the screen disappear too quickly. But with that, I'd like to really say thank you and pass it over to Prince George for them to bring to life their lived experiences working on reconciliation. And I believe the Q&A session will follow that. So thank you very much. And with that, I will stop sharing my screen. very much Diana and good afternoon everyone and thank you to UBCM for asking us to participate in today's webinar. I'm Walter Babbage, City Manager here in Prince George and it's our privilege to be speaking to you within the traditional territory of, of the Claytley Tene First Nation. By way of background, the Claytley Tene is a nation built on the strength of its people. In the carrier language and loosely translated, Claytley Tene means the people from the confluence of the river referring to how the Chapel River enters the Fraser River here at Prince George. Now I'm giving you this brief background because as Diana mentioned, one of the first steps to reconciliation is to learn about the history and the culture of First Nations, particularly those in our proximity. As Diana also referenced, I also want to mention the importance of political will and the support on the part of elected officials in relation to reconciliation. So to that end, uh, the photo before you is Chief Logan of the Clayley Tene and Mayor Hall of the City of Prince George. And in addition to um, the support from our entire Mayor and Council, I'd like to specifically acknowledge two City of Prince George councillors who continue to contribute to reconciliation efforts within Prince George and through UBCM. As many of you know, City Councillor Murray Krause has helped to champion many of the initiatives we'll overview today and has had a long history of participation in the Indigenous Relations Committee, both as a member and as the chair. And in, in addition, City Councillor Corey Ramsey is continuing with that involvement by currently serving as a member Love of the Indigenous it. Relations Committee. We very much appreciate that support and the support of, of our entire City Council. So over the remainder of this presentation, Chris Bowen will be sharing some of the initiatives that the City of Prince George has undertaken in partnership with the Clayley 10A First Nation. We'll also take the opportunity to highlight our efforts to advance reconciliation in a way that recognizes our significant urban Indigenous population. But before moving on to that, I'd like to emphasize that we're presenting these initiatives today with the disclaimer that we're certainly not the experts. We, like every local government, are continuing to learn both from our successes and from our mistakes. I think you'll all agree that the learning curve here is steep. And before turning the presentation over to Chris, I'd like to again express our thanks to UBCM for continuing to provide the opportunities to expand our knowledge so that we can advance the reconciliation imperative in a meaningful way. Thank you very much and over to you, Chris. Great, thank you very much, Walter. Uh, as Walter mentioned, my name is Chris Bone and I'm the Senior Manager of Strategic Initiatives and Partnerships with the City of Prince George. Over the next few minutes, I'm going to use primarily photographs to share some of the highlights of the city's efforts to advance reconciliation. For us, the journey began in Ernst uh, when we won, we were successful in our efforts to host the 2015 Canada Winter Games. The Clayton Tanay played a prominent role in all facets of the games. Uh, the opening ceremonies were steeped in Clayton Tanay culture. Members participated as volunteers, performers, artisans, and crafters. All the signage was not only in English, French, and French, but also in Dakel, the traditional language of the Clayton Tanay people. The rafts on pillars in Canada Games Plaza that tell the story of the Clayton people remain today. And as some of you might know, Jennifer Piggin, a Clayton member and artist, designed all of the medals for the Games. 
But perhaps, um, as pictured in the lower right corner of this slide, uh, the greatest symbol of reconciliation was a partnership between the city of Prince George, the Claytonay First Nation, the Host Society, Northern Development Initiatives Trust, and Northern BC Tourism that enabled the establishment and a placement of a Claytonay Pavilion in the downtown for the 17 days duration of the Games. An empty lot was literally transformed into 3,600 square feet of space that had an artisan village, a reception and retail space, live performance space, a soup and bannock uh, kitchen, and an elder's lounge. These 17 days provided the Claytonay to May with the opportunity to really demonstrate to thousands of visitors uh, the warmth and culture that makes them uh, so important uh, in this area. This pavilion and everything associated with the 2015 Canada Winter Games really fueled uh, many of the initiatives that I'm gonna quickly overview in the next slides. So I'm gonna share these uh, initiatives in chronological order. So in 2015, um, Prince George celebrated the municipality's 100th anniversary of incorporation. And with the leadership of Councillor Murray Krause, uh, it was determined that this milestone uh, could serve as a primary opportunity for the city to further build its relationship with the Claytonay today through really meaningful acts of reconciliation. So we undertook two major tasks. The first was to acknowledge historic wrongs that had profoundly impacted generations of the Clayton-Etenay people. We were very appreciative that Council did that by voting unanimously in favour of renaming one of our community's signature parks from Fort George Park to Clayton-Etenay Memorial Park. The renaming of the park commemorated in a respectful way uh, a very troubling time in our city's history with the Clayton-Etenay people when they were forcibly removed from their land. The inclusion of the word memorial in the name change acknowledges the presence of the Clayton-Etenay burial grounds in the park. The cemetery is all that remains of the village that was destroyed in 1913. We were very pleased to be able to announce this park name change um, on National Indigenous Peoples Day in June of 2015. A second uh, initiative undertaken to commemorate uh, the 100th anniversary of incorporation was the permanent presence of the Clayton-Etenay flag on one of the flag poles in front of City Hall. The flag was raised uh, also on National Indigenous Peoples Day and it recognizes that Clayton-Etenay First Nation as a level of government, and it serves as a reminder every day that Prince George is on the traditional territory of the Clayton-Etenay people. I just shared um, what I think are some fairly major undertakings that were enabled uh, certainly by the political will and support that Walter mentioned, and in some cases they were further aided by timing and external resources. So in 2016, we started to consider how could we sustain the momentum on a smaller but equally meaningful scale. And this led us to a modification on the very popular community-to-community uh, -community form model that Diana referenced. In May of 2016, we worked with the Clayton-Etenay First Nation, the city and the regional district to host the first ever staff-to-staff -staff form, which we termed the S2S form. The event took place on the south side of the Shelley Reserve with our kind host, the Clayton-Etenay First Nation. It was an outdoor informal gathering and the intent was to build understanding amongst staff um, of the history of the Clayton-Etenay people, but also to provide the opportunity for all parties to talk about their strategic priorities, uh, related projects, and what they needed to build uh, the strong relationships necessary to advance uh, shared interests. The event was hugely successful 
and helped create some of those informal networks uh, that we still rely on today uh, to get our work done on key initiatives. Diana also mentioned some of the more formal pieces that local governments work on uh, with uh, neighboring First Nations in the form of MOUs. Uh, in 2017, the city worked with the regional district and the Clayton Tenet to develop an MOU on cooperation and communication. And it was the first tri-party agreement of its kind. And it was signed by all three parties, once again, on National Indigenous Peoples Day uh, in 2017 to commemorate that occasion. The MOU uh, is important in that it acknowledges that each of the parties has a unique a set of responsibilities and authorities and jurisdictions, but also affirms the necessity of mutual respect and collaboration in order to advance the region economically, socially, and culturally. This MOU has really served as the foundation on which cooperative action to further shared initiatives has been built. So in the same way, the MOU continues to inform collaborative action involving the regional district, the city, and the First Nation, uh, the Truth and Reconciliation Calls to Action help guide our day-to-day -day city efforts towards reconciliation. You all know that one of the calls uh, relates to the responsibility of government to provide education to public servants. And while we had made some strides uh, with the 2016 staff to staff form, I don't think we'd addressed the full expectation or magnitude of that call to action. So in 2018, uh, we went back to the drawing board and we hosted a leadership reconciliation symposium for our senior staff. Our senior leadership comprised of approximately 25 people from every department in the city attended the day-long event. And as you'll see noted on the next two slides, it was really a combination of topics. It started off with a very uh, personal perspective from executive director of the Native Friendship Centre, Barb Ward Burkett, talking about her experiences uh, personally and organizationally with reconciliation, resiliency and respect. Uh, we then turned uh, to Rob Botterill and Ian Moore, who I'm sure many of you know from Lidstone Law Corporation, that really provided uh, some of the legal backdrop and context uh, for reconciliation. We closed uh, the day with a presentation by Ginger Gosnell Myers, who was the former manager of Indigenous Relations for the City of Vancouver. And she gave a real thorough overview of that city's journey, their key learnings, and some strategies that may, we may wish uh, as a municipality to build on. We closed the day with a facilitated discussion about how the city could advance reconciliation, not only in terms of big ticket actions, but also just in terms of general everyday things that our staff could do to advance our reconciliation priority. That senior leadership symposium was particularly helpful because it helped contribute to the success of this event, which was the launching of the Clayton Tenay Memorial Park Pavilion. This happened and you'll, you'll see a theme emerging here on National Indigenous Peoples Day in 2018. And it was that senior staff uh, leadership forum that allowed staff from across the organization to contribute to the funding applications and all of the project work that was necessitated in order to make this a very successful initiative. The pavilion was a result of a partnership between the city and the Clayton Tenet, and it was, it was based on their shared desire for a space that would be accessible for gatherings, performances, and other events that would also highlight the cultural significance of the landscape, including the confluence of the Fraser and Nechafka rivers. This slide shows in the upper uh, left uh, one of the photographs um, that was taken um, that's inside the pavilion itself. 
All of the photographs uh, depict Claytonay youth and elders, and they were taken in the permanent Claytonay exhibit at Exploration Place. And it was a way to recognize the importance of family and the promise of children. And to celebrate uh, the pavilion unveiling, uh, there was four days of um, all kinds of activities, music and events, starting with National Indigenous Peoples Day and ending on St. John Baptiste Day. Uh, in 2019, we, we furthered our efforts to educate our staff and strengthen our relationship with the Clayton Tanay through the development of a free module Indigenous Awareness Online Training Program. So our staff had participated in the review of many online training programs and had also participated in one uh, that was piloted uh, through the Public Health Services Organization. And in both of these instances, we had very positive feedback from staff about the content, coupled with a huge plea for more information about our local First Nation. In short, they, they wanted to know more about the Clayton Tanay people. So with the assistance through a one-time budget enhancement uh, provided by our City Council, we were able to contract a Clayton member and now counselor, uh, Joshua Seymour, to develop specific Clayton content for each of three modules. The funding also enabled us to engage a local videographer to develop three accompanying videos. Well, so module one, you just see the cover there. Uh, it focuses on like, uh, you know, an introduction uh, to Indigenous people and the, includes the a video price, all about uh, uh, the Clay uh, people. Module uh, two overviews the legacies of colonization and features a video with three generations of a Clayton Tanay family describing the intergenerational impacts of residential schools. The third module focuses on reconciliation and includes a video of Clayton Tanay elders sharing what reconciliation means to them. The Clayton Tanay really appreciated the opportunity to be involved in this initiative because it helped build their capacity to develop important educational materials that they can use even on a fee-for-service basis in response to the many presentation requests they get. I'll close this section by uh, presenting a highlight of a very recent initiative. In late 2021, uh, ground was officially broken on the new Clayton Tanay uh, Child Care Centre that will offer 75 much-needed spaces um, in a culturally safe environment for families and freight storage. The project involves uh, a partnership with the Clayton Tanay, the province of BC, uh, Exploration Place, the centre operator, and the city of Prince George. Uh, we have uh, provided a lease on the land. Uh, the land is owned by the city and it was the original site of the Clayton Tanay. Uh, Clayton in the Clayton Tanay Memorial Park. So we'll be leasing the land to the nation for 15 years for a very nominal fee and then providing them with the option to purchase the property at the conclusion of that 15 year lease for one dollar. So just rounding out our presentation, I did want to talk on about the city's efforts to action reconciliation through an urban Indigenous lens. So the city has established a very close working relationship with the Prince George Native Friendship Centre. The Friendship Centre is the largest one in Canada. Uh, with a budget of more than $14 million, a staff team of more than 200, and a comprehensive range of services operating from 13 sites uh, located throughout the city. Throughout this relationship, we're learning that the Friendship Centre plays a critical role in supporting Prince George's very large urban Indigenous population. Like other cities across the province, this slide shows that we have a significant number of residents reporting Aboriginal identity who live off-reserve but who are not members of the local First Nation. So to support 
urban indigenous serving organizations, we've been working on several initiatives. I'm going to just touch briefly on two. Uh, the first is an initiative called Raise Up Our Kids. It's a collective impact initiative that's working to launch a community school hub at Nusdao Elementary, the Aboriginal Choice School. The school is located in the VLA, a neighborhood in close proximity to our communities downtown that is disproportionately impacted by multiple factors uh, affecting the prevalence of poverty. So since 2016, we've been working with partners uh, like the school district, the Ministry of Children and Family Development, North